0: section 25 of at the point of the bayonet a tale of the maratha war by g a henty this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by jared h b at the point of the bayonet a tale of the maratha war chapter 12 the defence of jehore part 1 Half an hour later the little party were on their way. They were stiff at first, from passing the night in a sitting attitude, but it was not long before they were able to break into a trot. This they kept up for an hour, then, to their great satisfaction. The forest abruptly ceased, and they saw at a distance of about a mile and a half the little town of Johore, lying in cultivated fields that extended to the edge of the forest. They broke into a walk for a short distance, and then continued at their former pace for they could not tell how close their pursuers might be behind them. It was not long before they saw men at work in the fields. The interpreter shouted to them that a party of the enemy were not far behind, and throwing down their tools, they also made for the town, spreading the alarm as they went. Fresh and fleet-footed, they arrived some minutes before Harry's party, and, as these entered the place, they found the whole population in the street, the men armed with spears and chrises. Asking the way, they soon reached the Rajah's palace, which consisted of a central house, round which a number of huts were built, the whole surrounded by a stone wall, some eight feet high. The rajah, when they arrived, was questioning some of his people as to the cause of this sudden alarm. He was greatly surprised at the sight of Harry and his full uniform, attended only by one soldier and a native. "'How comes it that you arrive like this?' he asked angrily. "'Explain what has happened,' Harry said to the interpreter." the rajah's brow darkened as he heard how the escort he had sent down had been slain to a man on the previous day but his excitement increased when told that a strong force of his enemy was gathered within a few miles of the town and that an assault might be immediately expected will you tell the rajah that i am used to warfare and shall be glad to assist him to the best of my power in the defence of his town how many men were there the rajah asked i should think there were a couple of thousand Harry replied. Some of them had matchlocks, but the greater part of them only spear and chris. "'And we have not more than five hundred, the Rajah said. "'We cannot hope to resist them. What think you?' "'I will at once go round the town and see,' Harry said. "'It may be that, being accustomed to war, I can suggest some means of so strengthening the defenses that we may hold them against the enemy.' The Rajah, having heard many tales of the fighting powers of the Whites, said, I will go with you i would defend the place if i could for if Jihore were lost i should be but a fugitive all within it would be killed and i should have to beg an asylum from those over whom i was once master calling a party of his men to follow him the rajah accompanied harry to the edge of the town it was already surrounded by a palisade but this was of no great strength and its circumference was fully a mile and a half tell the rajah that we could make a first defense here, but his fighting men are not numerous enough to hold so large a circuit against four times their number. I should suggest that the whole population should be set to work to build another palisade much nearer to the palace. All the women and children should be sent inside this, all the provisions in the town be taken into the palace enclosure, and a large supply of water stored there. As soon as the new palisade is finished, all who can be spared from its defense should set to work to throw up a bank of earth against the wall, and upon this the fighting men can take their places, and should be able to defend the palace against any assault. The Raja listened attentively to the interpreter. The English officer's words are good, he said, but we have no timber for the palisades that he speaks of. Tell the Raja, Harry said, when this was interpreted to him that there is plenty of wood and bamboos in the huts that stand outside the line of the new palisade, and that if we pull these down, we can use the materials. Moreover, in any case, it would be well to level these houses, for if the enemy fired them, it would be almost certain to fire the houses inside the palisade. The Rajah's face brightened. The tone of assurance in which Harry spoke reassured him, and he said to the interpreter, Tell the officer that my people shall do just as he tells them if he will point out where the defense must be erected. Harry was not long in fixing upon the line for the entrenchments. It was some two hundred yards in diameter, and, at the Rajah's orders, the whole of the men and women of the town set to work, to pull down the huts standing within fifty or sixty yards of this. This was the work of a couple of hours, and the materials were carried up to the line. The stronger timbers were first planted, and holes dug for them, and the intervals between these were filled with bamboo poles. On the inside face other bamboos were lashed, rattans across them. As fast as these were used, more houses were pulled down until the defense was completed, the crossbars being some nine inches apart. This work performed, the men, women, and children brought up what provisions they had and their most precious belongings. These were carried inside the wall of the palace. It was two o'clock before the work was finished, and there was then a rest for half an hour. Then all were set to work to dig a trench three feet deep with perpendicular sides at a distance of two feet from the palisade. A large store of bamboos that had been too slender for use in the palisade were sharpened and cut into lengths of two feet, and these were planted thickly in the bottom of the trench. Others five feet long were sharpened and then thrust through the interstices between the upright bamboos, the ends being fixed firmly in the ground inside, while the sharpened points projected like a row of bayonets at a height of some two feet above the edge of the ditch. It was nightfall before the work was finished. The rajah had himself been all the time upon the spot, and was delighted when he saw how formidable was the obstacle that had been raised. One small entrance alone had been left, and through this all the women and children now passed and lay down in the space between the new palisade and the wall of the palace." The men were ordered to take posts behind the stockade, and a number of boys were sent out to act as scouts and give notice if an enemy approached. The rajah, however, was of opinion that as the enemy would know that the alarm would have been given by the fugitives on their arrival, and that the inhabitants would be on their guard, they would not attack till daylight. Harry had, at his invitation, gone up at midnight to his house and partaken of food, which was also sent out to Abdul and the interpreter. The rajah would have continued the work all through the night had not Harry dissuaded him, saying that, after six hours sleep, everyone would work better. At one o'clock a horn was sounded, and with the exception of a few men left at the outer palisade, all set to work again. The men were employed in digging a trench, a foot in depth, inside the inner palisade, throwing up the earth in front of them, so as to lie protected from arrows and spears, until it was time for them to rise to their feet to repel an actual assault. The women and children filled baskets with earth thrown from the outer trench on the previous day, and carried it inside the wall, where, by five o'clock, a bank two feet high had been raised, and on this a platform of bamboos, three feet high and eighteen inches wide, was erected. The work had scarcely been finished when a horn was sounded outside the town, and the boys came running in while the men ran down to the outer palisade. As day broke, great numbers of dark figures were seen making their way through the fields on three sides of the town. "'The band we saw must have been joined by another. There are certainly more than two thousand men there. They will undoubtedly carry the outer palisade. Many of our men will be killed, and many others will be unable to join us here. I think it will be much better to rely on this defense alone.' Having now great confidence in Harry's judgment, the Raja at once ordered a horn to be sounded, and in a short time the whole of the men were assembled in their stronghold and the entrance closed by bamboos for which holes had been already dug close together. Then short lengths were lashed across them and they were further strengthened by a bank of earth piled against them. Before this was quite finished, yells of triumph were heard as the enemy, finding the palisade unguarded, poured in, expecting to find that the inhabitants had fled at the news of their approach. They paused, however, in surprise at seeing another line of defense outside the palace. Quickly the numbers increased until a thick line of dark figures was gathered at the edge of the cleared space. Inside the defense all was quiet. Not a man showed himself. Doubtful whether the town had not been entirely evacuated, the Malays paused for some little time while some of the chiefs gathered together in consultation. Then a few of the men advanced with the evident intention of examining the defenses. They were allowed to approach within ten yards of the ditch when a shower of arrows fell from the openings in the palisade, and two only of the Malays fled back to their companions. The fall of the others provoked wild yells of anger, a horn sounded, and the assailants rushed upon them from all sides. When within a few yards of the ditch they hurled their spears and shot a cloud of arrows, a large proportion were stopped by the bamboos, but such as passed through flew harmlessly over the heads of the defenders, who replied with a far more deadly shower of arrows. Leaping over those who had fallen, the enemy dashed forward. Those in front endeavored to check their course on arriving at the edge of the ditch, but they were forced in by the pressure of those behind, and the long spears of the defenders gleamed out through the openings of the bamboos, inflicting terrible damage. In vain the assailants endeavored to climb out of the ditch. The bayonet-like line of bamboos checked them, and the arrows of the concealed defenders told, with terrible effect, on the struggling mass. At last, at many points, the ditch was literally filled with dead, and the assailants were enabled to leap upon the line of bamboos which had so long checked their passage. The advantage was but slight. The slippery poles were some six inches apart, and slanting as they did, afforded so poor a foothold that the malays were forced to stand between them on the narrow ledge between the palisading and the ditch. Here they thrust their spears between the palisade, but these were wrenched from their hands, and scores fell from the blows of Chris, spear, and arrow, until at last their leaders and chiefs, seeing how terrible was the slaughter, and how impossible it was to climb the bamboo fence, called their men off. And they fell back, pursued by exulting cries from the women who were standing on the platform behind the wall of the palace, watching the conflict, and by the yells of the defenders of the stockade. Of these but few had fallen, while some five hundred of the assailants had perished. The Rajah was almost beside himself with joy at this crushing defeat of his enemy. I do not suppose it is over yet, Rajah, Harry said through his interpreter. There are still some five times our number, and they will surely not retire without endeavoring to avenge their defeat. But I hardly think they will attack the stockade again. Possibly they will try fire next time, and it will be harder to fight that than to keep men at bay." the rajah looked serious yes he said they cannot return to their homes and say that they have left five hundred dead behind them what do you advise they will hardly attack again today, day rajah therefore i shall have time to think it over but at present it seems to me that our only course is to shoot down as many of those who bring up firebrands as possible we still have a number of long bamboos left and with these we might thrust away any burning faggots. They might be cast against the palisade.' The Rajah nodded. "'That might be done,' he said. "'And with success, no doubt.' "'With success at many points, Rajah. But if they succeed at only one point, in establishing a big fire against the stockade, we must retire within the wall. They cannot burn us out there, except at the gate. And against that we must pile earth and stones.' but I should certainly recommend that the roofs of all the buildings inside should be taken off, unless, indeed, you have sufficient hides to cover them. Still, we need not do that until we are driven inside the wall. It takes but a short time to take off the broad leaves with which the roofs are covered. During the fight, Harry had taken no active part in the conflict. He had divided the circle into three, and had taken charge of one division, Abdul taking another, and the Rajah a third. They had each encouraged the men under them, and had gone where the pressure of the attack was most severe. On leaving the Rajah, Harry joined Abdul. They will try again, Abdul, but I don't think they will try to carry the stockade by assault again. They will try fire, Sahib. That is just what I am afraid of. The archers will shoot down a good many of them, but in such numbers as they are, this will make little difference, and we must calculate that at at least a dozen spots they will place blazing faggots against the palisade, Abdul nodded. I have been telling the Rajah, Harry went on, that the men must provide themselves with long bamboos, which they can thrust through the openings in the stockade, and then push the faggots away. But even if we do so, we must calculate upon the enemy succeeding in some places, and setting the palisade on fire. That would be very serious, but of course we should go in behind the wall. I do not want to do that, as long as we can possibly stay here. I think that when night comes, we ought to make a sortie. But are we not too few, Sahib? Too few to defeat them, Abdul, but not too few to beat them up. You see, the wind always blows in the evening up from the sea. I noticed it last night. It was quite strong. What I should purpose would be to pull up enough bamboos for four men to go out together on the side facing the wind. Two hundred men should firstly sail out remaining as they do so close to the ditch. When all are ready, they should crawl across the cleared ground, and then at a signal, attack the enemy, who, taken by surprise, would be sure to give way at first. As they attack, fifty men with torches should rush out and follow them, and set fire to as many huts as they can. As soon as they have done their work, all should run back when the signal is given. There will be two advantages. In the first place, the sudden attack will disconcert the enemy and render them less willing to expose their lives by storming a place so desperately held. In the second place, the wind will carry the flame over the whole town, and I hope the burning fragrance will carry the flames over all the fields where the crops are dry, thus causing them much more difficulty in obtaining dry wood for faggots. They will be exposed to our arrows much longer before they throw them against the stockade. It would be excellent, Sahib. But do you think the men would go? Just at the present moment they would do anything. They're half wild with the excitement and triumph. Harry presently went with the interpreter to the Rajah's house. I have a plan to propose to you, he said, that will render it much more difficult for the enemy to set fire to the stockade. And he then explained his scheme. The Rajah's eyes glistened with excitement. Nothing could be better, he said, and there is but one fear and that is that the enemy will follow us so hotly that they will enter through the breach before we can close it i have thought of that harry said and the order must be that when the signal is given the men must throw down their torches and then each man must run not for the hole in the stockade but to the nearest point and keep along outside the ditch and enter by it in that way the point at which they entered would not be known and moreover they would be able to enter more rapidly with much less confusion, than if they all arrived together in a crowd. A party would, of course, be left at the breach when they sally out, and the moment the last man entered would replace and lash the bamboos in their position. If, however, we are hotly pursued, you and I, with your own guards, should remain outside and keep them at bay until all the bamboos but one are replaced. This will leave an opening sufficient for one man, and we must fall back fighting." They certainly would not venture to follow us through so narrow a passage. End of section twenty five. Recording by Jared H. B.